I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if this podcast is helpful to you, come join us at the Digital Commerce Alliance. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, Dan is talking with David True from Pagility Advisors, and we'll be learning more about the future of interchange in light of Amazon and Venmo's recently announced partnership. Before we get to that interview, we'll dig into three of the big stories in digital commerce from the last week. Walmart made 6,000 drone deliveries in 2022. Canada added more than 10,000 jobs in November of last year. Beer sales are down as consumers bulk at higher prices. All that's ahead, and of course, the main event, where you'll learn more from David True about what the Amazon Venmo partnership has in store. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Walmart made 6,000 drone deliveries in 2022. The deliveries were made from 36 U.S. stores in seven states. Walmart beat out Amazon in numbers of drone drop-offs made last year. While Walmart anticipated using drones for emergency items, in reality, they were used to deliver convenience goods. Case in point, Hamburger Helper was a top-selling item at one of the drone hubs, according to a payments report. Canada added more than 10,000 jobs in November of 2022 pushing the jobless rate down to 5.1%. What were the industries adding jobs? Finance, insurance, real estate, and manufacturing, among others, according to the Financial Post. Wages were up too, at a 5.6% annual rate. That's a step in the right direction, but they're still not keeping pace with inflation. Demand for beer fell late last year in response to increasing prices, In the 12 weeks before Christmas, beer prices were 7% higher than the same period the previous year, according to Nielsen data, as reported in the Wall Street Journal. Historically, beer has been touted as having inelastic demand. It seems that's not the case right now. Today on the show, Dan is having a conversation with David True about the Venmo-Amazon partnership. David, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Commerce Code. We're sitting here in the middle of the holiday season, and I'll just start with, you know, I assume that wherever you are, you are layered in snow, but where are you uh, joining us from today? Actually, uh, New York City. So it's been cold, but we are fortunate that we don't have any snow right now. Okay, very good. Well, look, Amazon announced a little while ago that they now accept Venmo. And you wrote what I thought was an excellent article laying out why this is significant. And so maybe we can just start with, can you, can you give us the very basics of, of what was announced and sort of what happened here? Well, the basics were that Amazon will now accept as a payment method Venmo. And that's a significant change because Venmo is a PayPal product and it's driven by a lot of account-to-account transfer where you connect your bank account. 
And so this is the first connect your bank account to make the payment rather than going through the credit card rails. And this is the first time that a major retailer has been accepting Venmo, which has been an objective of PayPal since they bought Venmo to try to get it accepted in more retailers rather than just being used as a P2P payment. And it also serves to meet an objective of Amazon, which is to reduce their cost of payment. So all this is significant. And But of course, the significance of it is that this change is happening with this enormous retailer. And that has reach that wouldn't happen if a one-off or a smaller retailer were to make this change. So in practice, how does the consumer experience this? So if I'm, I'm going into Amazon, I want to pay with Venmo, what do I do to sort of make that happen? Well, anybody who's used an online commerce website, and pretty big, I'm sure everyone listening to this has, you know at some point you have to connect a payment vehicle, which has generally been a credit or a debit card. So in this case, what happens, and I, I just went through it an hour or so ago, is you go onto the Amazon site. And I actually Googled Amazon and Venmo, but I didn't go in just, just blind. But a pop-up comes up and it allows you to connect your Venmo account as an authorized payment method, just as you would a credit card account. So you essentially go through the same steps you would or similar steps that you do to connect any payment vehicle. So it's really going through a process that everyone's familiar with who is using credit card payments online, but it's done in a fairly slick way because it's connected through PayPal. So you don't need to key in any information. You just do your authorization code that you would if you were using a PayPal payment. The natural next question is, what's the scenario where the consumer says, hey, I want to do this? I mean, I am assuming that it is not known or not publicly known sort of how much uptake there's been. Amazon or Venmo or whatever haven't haven't talked about it. Perhaps if they have, you can, you can tell me. But what's the scenario where a consumer benefits and comes in and says, hey, I want to do this? Well, one thing that you always think about in, in any kind of consumer-facing business is you want to meet the consumer where they are and allow them to pay the way they want to pay. And over the last 10 years, P2P payments, and Venmo is one of the leading payers with Cash App and a couple others in person-to-person payments has become very, very popular. So this is simply saying there's a way that people like to move money for other methods, and now they were able to do that for paying on Amazon. So depending on how heavily it's promoted, I expect we'll see the uptake vary as with anything. You have to make it known to people. As I mentioned a moment ago, the enrollment is quite simple, but fundamentally it just says you want to make it as easy for the consumer to pay in whatever way that consumer wants to pay. And that's really a raison d'etre for any kind of retailer is they don't want the payment at the end to be something that could end up in uh, losing a transaction. The easier it is and the more familiar methods you have for a consumer to pay, the better off, the happier the retailer is. Amazon, I I think personally, is the master of making things easy. And so perhaps they moved on this as just a continuation of that theme and and maybe a a generational continuation, if you will. In other words, maybe people that are a little old like me wouldn't naturally think, oh, gosh, I wish I could use Venmo. It might be more common among folk, my children, probably I should just ask them to think like, hey, it would be better if I could just have this all happening on Venmo, maybe. I think it's absolutely correct. It's a generational change. Just as over the last few years, debit cards have become more prominent than credit cards as a way to pay. And so you see debit card acceptance but you know, much wider than it was you know, 10, 15 years ago. This is in the same ilk is that you're seeing the change in the way people behave and the way they behave in payments, and you're allowing it to be used in different contexts. But there's an economic consideration here for Amazon in that any payment that Amazon accepts has a cost to Amazon. And accepting Venmo as a method of payment costs Amazon somewhat less. So there is an economic driver to make this happen. The consumer-facing part of it is always more important than the economic benefit. So even if, even if it's cheaper for you to accept a payment method, if the consumers find it awkward to use, a retailer is not going to light that up. But in the case of this, 
it's something that consumers are familiar with and an added benefit. So, so it may increase the conclusion of sales, the shopping carts that are actually purchased. One of the big fears that retailers have is something called shopping cart abandonment, when someone gets to the point of buying and decide not to make the transaction. So this can alleviate that, which benefits the merchant from greater completion rate. But the added benefit is that it costs less for Amazon to accept payments with Venmo. And in a very low margin business like Amazon runs, every tiny piece of cost reduction is very important. Absolutely. And you know, getting people to make it easy to, to just buy the thing you want to buy is key. I will say I've, I'm doing this in real time, as you, can, as you can tell. And so I opened up my Venmo app on my phone and I am old, as previously mentioned, and so therefore don't use it on a daily basis. And I have a Venmo balance, $170.92. And I think, where on earth did that come from? You know where it came from? When my daughter paying- was paying me because she's 20. <laughs> and so she's paying me for stuff that she owed me for, apparently, and uh, you know, being conscientious and such. And I had never even looked and noticed that this had been going on. So I guess case in point, there is a bit of a generational thing. And I think that that's how she just does stuff financially. And that's also a benefit to companies who run wallets of this nature, is that when people don't realize they have a balance, that's a funding benefit. Multiply that $100 or $100 or whatever by many, many fold for the usage of it, and it gives a funding benefit and increasingly an interest rate benefit to the company that owns the wallet. So this gets to something that I really liked about your article and wanted to, to turn to, which is sort of the overall economics of this, right? And so without without characterizing too much of what you've said and, and we'll say in a second, but as you've pointed out, Venmo fundamentally doesn't make as much money as you might think in the payment sector. And it only makes money in certain ways when people are, if they're using their bank account to fund rather than leaving like a balance like I have now, that it doesn't necessarily earn a lot of money for Venmo, but there are ways that Venmo can benefit from certain kinds of transactions more than others. So that's one piece that's interesting. And then the other piece I think that's really fascinating is the potential for kind of long-term impact on the payments sector and on, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex and this kind of stuff. So I, I'd love to just get your sense of, you know, who, who wins and loses from this. Let's imagine, let's imagine that uh, Venmo as a payment platform grows on Amazon, it becomes meaningful, becomes significant. You know, who wins and loses from that? Well, certainly, let's take the case of Venmo. Now, this could apply to anybody who's using a app similar to Venmo, of which there are a few. But let's take this particular case. First of all, PayPal wins because now PayPal has a different revenue stream for one of their products that they didn't have before. When Venmo is used simply to pay person to person, if your daughter's paying you, it's a money loser for PayPal. But if a merchant is accepting it, then they charge the merchant something. So one winner, to the extent that Venmo is used more broadly to pay merchants, PayPal makes revenue that they weren't making before. So they're a winner. Amazon, as I mentioned a moment ago, is also a winner in the two ways that I touched on. One, if it increases the completion of transactions, and two, because Venmo will cost them less. So those are the main winners in this. Tangential to that is any merchant who would like to decrease their cost of payment, increase throughput or increase the completion rate, they are now feel more enabled to put Venmo on their site since Amazon has done so. Given that Amazon carries such weight, they're getting people accustomed to using Venmo to paying. So that makes it less of a risk for another merchant to put a new payment method such as Venmo on their website. So they win. Now, winners and losers is a little dramatic. In the payments world, because there is so much commerce that is not done yet with electronic payments, worldwide, I'm thinking, and the pie is growing. There aren't real black and white losers. But for companies like Visa and MasterCard and American Express, anybody who makes money from the traditional electronic payment model, they have a risk of losing market share that they would ordinarily or otherwise have gotten. Because as a payment method like Venmo becomes more accepted, 
then that portion of money that would have gone on something like a Visa, MasterCard, or American Express, let's add Discover in there. You can't forget about Discover. That will no longer go to them. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the pie is growing. So you've got more for everyone to share. But the relative share that the traditional payment companies will be getting will decrease to the extent that this and similar payment methods are successful. It sounds like they could have a significant long-run impact, maybe you know, sort of incremental growth over time. Separate conversation, but we've been, I think everybody's been watching what I think of as the quiet but significant rise of Apple Pay, for example. And so bigger long-run impact. What do you think is the biggest potential impact? So this, this, and, and what I mean by that is it might be a 10% chance of this, might be a 20% chance of this, but what do you think could happen as a result of this kind of scenario fully playing out? So imagine that you get just a lot of adoption on Venmo and it really changes the scene. Like what's the scenario in which that happens? Well, the scenario in which that happens would be, and again, this whole payments world is complicated because there's so many players, but it's an extension of what I talked about a moment ago, is that if this really takes off in indicating that people are more comfortable paying at merchants with a direct bank account transfer, and as an aside, that's something that's much more widely done in other countries. In Germany, a much more significant portion of payments at merchants, electronic payments at merchants, are done with a bank account transfer. That has been low here. And this could be a leading indicator that that's starting to happen. If this takes off, then the point I made earlier about taking away share that Visa, MasterCard, American Express Discover might have had, that becomes more significant. The share they take away becomes a bigger share. The other thing that could come from this, if it becomes terribly significant, is it would change some of the dynamics of the rewards business in payment cards. Because as a default, I think people who pay with rewards cards will be hard to win away. But to the extent that that, with generational shifts, become fewer people paying with rewards cards, and rewards cards cost the merchant more, that changes the economics of offering rewards to consumers. So that could be a long-term effect if this becomes really widely used. Absolutely. And I think the example of how differently payments happen in different economies, different cultures, East Asia versus you know the West being an, an obvious big example, demonstrates that there's nothing inevitable about how we do things now. And so I find this an interesting topic just because it could be kind of the wedge into a major changer or not, but it strikes me as having a lot of potential and something that's uh, worth learning more about and following. And David, really grateful for your insights on this as clearly you've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and knowing it well. So thanks so much for your comments today. And we look forward, hopefully, to having you at some point in the future on Commerce Code again. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. I have a saying, people talk about what's important and they do what's easy. If you are a regular listener to Commerce Code, you may have heard me say that before. Well, as 2023 dawns, DCA members are talking about lots of things, big plans, exciting innovations, the next big DCA meeting, which is in April in San Francisco. More to come on that. But last week, we had an important conversation about a perennial issue. It's not new at all. Friction. Physical friction slows things down. That's why skiing is more fun when there's snow and considerably less fun when you hit a patch of grass. Good news, by the way. After the last few weeks, there's no grass to be seen on ski hills in the western United States. Bad news, some ski resorts in Europe are apparently closed even as we approach mid-January due to lack of snow. Bummer. But I digress. Friction in digital commerce isn't physical friction, really. It's more of a metaphor. But it's just as unpleasant. 
The dream is frictionless digital loyalty and rewards programming and frictionless transacting in general. Merchant systems that know who the customer is. They know the customer's status with a program or a merchant. They know the customer's preferences. And those factors are taken into account automatically in every transaction. That's the dream. I had an example of a relatively low friction transaction recently. I was going into the Turkish Airlines lounge at Washington Dulles before taking a domestic Delta Airlines flight. The setup there, right there alone, isn't a recipe for total success. I walked in wondering how this would go, but I showed them my priority pass from my digital wallet. That went beep. I showed them my Delta boarding pass. That went beep. And I walked in. That was pretty low friction. At least in theory, it could have been one step easier if the system simply knew me better. So perhaps one beep of my priority pass tells them that I am who I am and maybe also that I'm flying that day. Or one beep of my boarding pass and I get in. It could also be, on reflection, that I kind of had to be flying somewhere that day because I got through TSA somehow. Anyway, friction losses are real. Car engines have a lot of friction, and they're about 50% efficient. That is, about half the energy a car consumes is converted into forward motion. Bicycles are around 98% efficient because their, quote, engines, their pedals, chain, cogs, bearings, have so little friction And they have so little friction because they have so few parts compared to a car engine and so little heat that's generated and not turned into forward motion. So when a digital commerce system is complicated, has a lot of moving parts like a car engine, that requires extra effort and further steps. And that means that we simply lose a lot of transactions because that effort and those steps in many cases are on the consumer. I was informed by a member, a DCA member this week, that a card I have in my wallet right now was offering 10% off of gas uh, for the whole month of December, which seemed like a lot. And I spent a lot of money on gas in December. We drove to grandma's house for Christmas, as one does. But I had no idea about the offer, so I didn't use it. That's actually a complexity problem, which is, strictly speaking, sort of a cousin of friction. It's not quite exactly the same thing, but I would argue it arises from that same cause. Lots of parts, lots of things, lots of messages, difficulty targeting. It's hard to reduce friction without reducing complexity. And both of those things involve using better quality data to tailor experiences to consumers in a way that fits them best. So some things to think about on friction. I think the true frictionless standard is the norm standard. Norm from Cheers. Norm walks into Cheers in Boston, and what happens? Everyone yells, Norm! And a beer shows up at his seat. That right there is frictionless commerce. It's aspirational. It's not going to happen overnight. It may take a very long time for us to achieve the Norm standard, but the question for digital commerce going forward as an ecosystem, as an industry, is how do we get consumers as close as possible to that level of human recognition and frictionless transaction that we've achieved the norm standard. Commerce Code is a weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. 
If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org and reach out to Ala Mohammed, our head of member services at alaa at digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.